Well, we are uh, continuing this morning in our series in the book of Hebrews, and we have reached chapter 6, verse 4. So we shall read uh, that passage this morning, but we shall actually start at verse 11 of chapter 5, because um, the section from 5, verse 11, through to 6, verse 12, really forms one unit, so I think it will be helpful for us to start a bit further back, but we shall be focusing this morning on verses 4 to 12 of chapter 6. So let us hear the word of the Lord. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then fall away, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith 
and patience inherit the promises. The central exhortation of this section of the book of Hebrews is what the preacher says in the first verse of chapter 6 where he exhorts the congregation to go on to maturity. Let us go on, he says, to maturity. Leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, build upon the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. That is the central exhortation of this passage. And he says that because the Hebrews had become sluggish in their faith. They were being tempted to go back to the old ways, to what we might call old covenant religion, Judaism, to leave Christ because of the pressures that they were facing from without in particular. They'd become somewhat sluggish in their faith, dull of hearing, as he says at the end of chapter 5. They had backslidden as Christians. They had at one time been doing much better, but now, for various reasons, they had backslidden. They were behaving, the writer says, more like spiritual children than mature adults. Spiritual children who needed milk rather than solid food. And it is in that context that the writer exhorts this congregation of believers to go on to maturity. Let me just say at the start that it is so important that you, Christian believer, go on to maturity. God has saved you that he might perfect you, that he might make you glorious in his sight. And your great aim in this life should be to become the best Christian that you can become this side of glory. God calls you to be growing day by day in grace and in knowledge, in faith and in love. He calls you to make progress in the faith that he has given to you. And what we see the preacher doing in this passage, having rebuked the Hebrews for their sluggishness, for their dullness of hearing, is to say two particular things to them in order to achieve his aim of getting these Hebrew believers to go on to maturity. Here we see the preacher doing two things to encourage the Hebrews to become better Christians, to return to those better ways that they had once been walking in. Here we see him, first of all, warning them about the danger of apostasy. And then secondly, we see him providing them with a wonderful word of assurance. Those are the two things that we see here. We see a warning about apostasy. And we see a word of assurance, which we shall consider in turn. First of all, then, we have a warning about apostasy in verses 4 to 8. Now here, in these verses, we have what is probably one of the hardest passages in Scripture to understand. If not purely from an exegetical perspective, then definitely from a pastoral perspective. And that is because what we have in these verses 
is probably the most serious warning that we have, certainly in the whole book of Hebrews and maybe even in the whole Bible. Here we see in verses 4 to 8, the writer telling us that it is impossible, impossible to restore some people to repentance. In other words, here we see, here we learn that for some people, there comes a point when it is impossible for them to be saved. There comes a point where they will never repent. Where they will never be saved. There comes a point when such people are doomed to certain irrevocable destruction. No more serious and no more terrifying judgment could surely ever be pronounced upon someone. Surely there is nothing more dreadful than to hear the sovereign Lord, the judge of all, and this is the judgment of God speaking here, than to hear the judge of all say of someone, it is now impossible for you to repent. It is now impossible for you to be saved. And we naturally ask the question, well, about whom does God make this most terrible judgment? Who does God say cannot, cannot, be restored again to repentance and the writer tells us as he goes on in verse 4 it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the holy spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of god and the powers of the age to come if they then fall away Here we learn that the people for whom it is impossible to repent are those who have within the context of the church, within the context of the covenant community, experienced the truth and the reality of salvation, who know that salvation to be true, they have tasted of it, They have in some sense experienced it, but who have nevertheless willfully and defiantly rejected the salvation that they know to be true. It is such people, the writer says, who cannot repent, who cannot be restored. Now, this list of blessings that the writer to the Hebrews outlines here in these verses, enlightenment, tasting the heavenly gift, sharing in the Holy Spirit, tasting in the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. These are all blessings that God bestows upon his covenant people within the context of the covenant community. These are blessings, covenantal blessings that pertain, we might say, to the realm 
or to the sphere of the church. It is in the church, after all, that minds are enlightened as the truth of the gospel is taught and preached. It is in the church that the heavenly gift, which I think means the heavenly gift of redemption, is tasted as Christ is proclaimed, as Christ is proclaimed both in word and in sacrament. It is in the church that we share in the fellowship and the gifts supplied by the Holy Spirit. It is in the church that we taste the goodness of God's word and experience in some measure at least the powers of the age to come. The church is an eschatological community. The church is, in other words, the place where God pours out his blessings on his covenant people. Therefore, those who are in the church, those who belong to the covenant community, all of them, in some sense, taste and experience and share in these blessings. They are all in what you might call the orbit of salvation. In that orbit of salvation, they experience for themselves the truth and the reality of salvation in Christ. And yet, some who are within this orbit of salvation, though they may have participated in these blessings, though they have received the privileges, the incalculable privileges of the covenant, though they know the gospel of Jesus Christ to be true, they've tasted it. They yet make the conscious and the deliberate and the sustained decision to renounce Christ. They choose with willful intention in a sustained manner to reject that which they know to be true. And that is what the writer means by people falling away. It is a sustained, hardened rejection of Christ, of the salvation that they have in measure tasted and experienced within the context of the covenant community and which they know to be true. They yet reject it. They will have nothing to do with it. They leave the church. They break the covenant that God has made with them. They are covenant breakers, covenant violators. In a word, these people apostatize. That is what he is describing here in this passage. The writer to the Hebrews is describing the awful sin of apostasy. These are apostates. And it is of such people... That, he says, restoration to repentance is impossible. Judas would be an example. And those in the context of Hebrews who turn away from Christ, knowing the truth of the gospel, having experienced some of the blessings of Christ, and return to the old forms, to the old covenant religion, They are those who fall away. And they will not be restored to repentance. And this is the punishment that God 
meets out to those who are guilty of the crime of apostasy. This is God's most just and most proportionate punishment for the crime of apostasy to say, you will not be saved. It is now impossible for you to repent. And this is a just and proportionate punishment when you consider what the crime of apostasy entails. Look at what it entails. He tells us in verse 6. It is impossible for those to be restored to repentance who fall away since. What are they doing? They are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. This is who an apostate is. An apostate is someone who effectively says to the Lord Jesus, I despise your death. I hold your cross in utter contempt. I reject all that you did for sinners like me. Even though I know it's true, I will have nothing Nothing to do with you. You are dead to me and I wish you were back on the cross. That is what an apostate effectively says to the Lord Jesus. An apostate, much like the one who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, is someone who holds Jesus in such hardened and willful and sustained contempt that he wishes Christ were back on the cross. And it is in that sense that he crucifies again or re-crucifies the Son of God. And he does so, the writer tells us, to his own harm. Because it is as a result of such willful, determined and sustained contempt for the Lord Jesus that it becomes impossible for him to repent. After all, how can you repent when you have consciously and willfully and perpetually renounced the one upon whom repentance is based? And therefore, he who knowingly spurns the blessings of the covenant, he who knowingly spurns the salvation of the gospel in Jesus Christ will inevitably be cursed. Which is what the writer explains in his illustration of verses 7 and 8, where he says, For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burnt. Faithful Christians are like the land of verse 7. They are those who have drunk in, so to speak, the blessings of the covenant, enlightenment, tasting the heavenly gift sharing in the Holy Spirit, tasting the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. They have drunk in those covenantal blessings and have then produced good fruit. 
fruit that is useful to others, that is good for others. And such people receive God's blessing. They receive his commendation. By contrast, apostates are like the land of verse 8. They too have drunk in the blessings of the covenant. But instead of producing good fruit, they have borne only thorns and thistles. And they are of no use to others. Indeed, they are worthless. They are fit only in a deliberate echo of Genesis chapter 3, fit only to be cursed by God, to, as it were, be dug up by him, thrown away, and to be burned in the fire. Now, this is a hard and heavy passage, hard to understand, hard to take in, I suppose, But we need to take it in because this is what can happen to those who belong to the church. This is what can happen to professing Christians. They can fall away. They can apostatize. I'm sure you know people who at one time appeared to be committed Christians, but who have now left the faith. I'm sure you know people who grew up in the church, who tasted and experienced the blessings of the covenant and the goodness of the gospel, but who have since left the church. We all know people like that, I imagine, and it's heartbreaking. And the question you might well ask is, well, can we have no hope for such people? Do we have to conclude that it is impossible for them to be restored to repentance? And the answer I would give to that is, if they are truly apostates, then yes, that is the terrible reality. It is impossible for them to be restored to repentance. But of course, we, we don't know whether that is the case or not. Only God knows those who are the impossible to be saved apostates. Only God knows. And so our, from our perspective, Our duty, our responsibility is to keep on hoping and to keep on praying that God will restore to repentance those we know who have, for the time being at least, fallen away. And we should do so in confidence that those whom God has saved, he will never lose. We should do so in confidence knowing that though genuine Christians may fall away for a time, they will not be lost eternally. That's what we read in our confession of faith earlier on. Wonderful words, those whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere in it to the end and be eternally saved. 
They might become sluggish. They might backslide. They might leave the church. It might look as if they have fallen away forever, but if they are God's children, he will not lose them. And I want you to know for certain this morning, brothers and sisters, this wonderful truth that true believers cannot lose their salvation. You cannot be savingly united to Jesus Christ one day and then cease to be the next. And what I want to say is that this passage does not in any way contradict that wonderful truth. It doesn't. This passage does not teach that spirit-regenerated sons of God can be snatched out of their father's hand. This passage is simply expounding and explaining the very, very sad phenomenon which Jesus himself explained in the parable of the sower, that some who belong to the covenant community, some who profess faith in Christ, will yet end up leaving that community. They will end up falling away. But no spirit-born Christian will ever fully and finally fall away. You, Christian believer, you cannot apostatize. But of course, if you are a genuine believer, you will take this warning of apostasy to heart. Fully assured that by God's grace you won't finally fall away, you will yet say, Lord, let me not fall away. Lord, let me not disdain your name. Let me not become sluggish in my faith. Let me not leave the church. Let me not disown you. Let me not grieve your spirit. That is the cry of a fully assured true Christian who cannot apostatize. Yet they say, Lord, keep me. Keep me in your grace. And of course, a true Christian will repent. A true Christian will repent for all the times that they fall into sin. And a true Christian will keep on repenting. Because the life of a Christian believer is a life of repentance. I've got a bit more to say, but I see that it is almost quarter to twelve, and I don't want to rush through the rest of what I have to say. So I think, if you don't mind, I shall stop there, and we shall come on to the comforting words of assurance that we have in verses 9 to 11. I trust next time. But what I do want to say to you is this. That we should heed the warning of apostasy. And there may well be some among you this morning who hearing these words, and this may well have happened amongst the congregation of the Hebrews as well. Who fear and who worry that they might fall away. What if I fall away from the blessings that are mine. And I suppose there are two things I would say to you. If, if, you, if you do fear that, 
then I would take that to be a very good sign that you won't fall away because those who do become hardened, those who do with a high hand and with a sustained resolve reject Christ, they, they, don't, they won't feel that sort of worry or anxiety. They won't. But then the second thing I would say to you is, is simply this. And I understand Ian was effectively saying this last Sunday evening. I wasn't there. But all I would say to you is look to the Lord Jesus Christ, who, as your great heavenly high priest, persevered all the way to the end. And he, as your great heavenly high priest, laid down his life for all of your sins, for all of your falls, for all of your impenitence, for all of your sluggishness, for all of your lack of fruit, for all of your hardness of heart, for all of your dullness of hearing. He gave himself for all of those sins and his sacrifice was accepted by the father and he now is interceding for you at the Father's right hand. And your heavenly high priest will keep you from falling away. Your heavenly high priest, you are in his hands. He will not let you slide into apostasy. You can be fully assured You can be fully assured because you have such a great high priest, Jesus Christ. So let me urge you to go on to maturity. Taking to heart the warning that is given here. But also being assured and encouraged. That because of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will go on. You will persevere to the end and he will one day perfect you in full maturity. Amen.